Okay, we shall read together from John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54 once again. And then we will zoom in on verses 48 to see how Jesus rebukes this man regarding signs and wonders, actually in general regarding miracles. So shall we together, uh, John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. After the two days, he had departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour that, uh, when Jesus had said to him, The son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came, had come from Judea to Galilee. We shall read through verses 48 again and we shall zoom in to see how Jesus speaks about the signs and miracles and how it should so-called relate to this man here. So in verse 48, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So, first of all, as we start, we see a charge that Jesus has for this man right here, this man, this Galilean man. He charged him with this, that unless he sees certain signs and wonders, which I will summarize uh, with the word miracle, this man will not believe. We first note that there's a comparison made here between this man and the Samaritans. The Samaritans themselves did not seek any signs. In fact, the very fact that they came to Christ was not because of miracles or wonders that Jesus had performed, but it was simply because of a testimony that a Samaritan woman had spoken to them. It was by the word of Christ that brought the Samaritan come, that brought the Samaritans before Christ. But now we see this man rushing to Christ, seeking for a miracle to be done on his dying. Sorry about that. Uh, we will continue first. Yeah. So, this man of great standing among his people, um, even though he's greatly grieved by his son, he respected Christ's uh, reproof for him. Uh, he respected Christ to approach him, first of all. Yet, as he approached Christ, he was reproved by Christ for what he has done. It is to show something to us. None of us is above reproof. None of us is above rebuke. All of us have some weakness in us, have some sin in us, 
that ought to be pointed out to us. This man might have enjoyed great dignity in life, but never beyond the rebuke of Christ. We also note that Christ points out the sins of the man, the weakness of the man, before showing his mercy and healing his son. His mercy and his love towards him and his son were shown after the fact that the sins of this man was pointed out. In a very similar manner, when we look at the Samaritan woman herself, we see this also. Jesus points out the things that are wrong in her life, be it is a weakness or be it a sin, he points it out in her life. Before she gives that, gives her the living water. Before he shows the grace and mercy to heal her. So the question also comes to us then. Are we beyond approach? Are we beyond reproof? Are we afraid of rebuke? Are we afraid of our sins and our weakness being pointed out? But now we know that when our sins and weaknesses are pointed out, there is mercy after that. There is mercy beyond the reproof and the rebuke. Many of us today as human beings living on this earth, we have a lot of pride in us. We request every sorry, we require a lot of dignity in our own lives to a point so much so that we are afraid and we do not wish for our sins and our weakness to surface to other people. But yet we understand that God knows all these things. But so are we afraid of know, of God knowing our weakness? And even with God knowing our weakness, what do we ought to do as Christians? How should we react then to our weaknesses and sins being pointed out by God? In this manner, this man's sin was that he seeked for signs and wonders before he believed. We'll explore the idea a bit more um, as we continue on in verse in the exploration of verse 48. We see that this charge that Jesus has against this man's self to be rather harsh. You know, why did Christ why did Christ straight up scold him? He was in a very dire situation. We don't expect this from Christ. He's in a dire situation. He's panicking. He comes to seek out for Christ, even respecting Christ to a point that he did not send his servant, but he came down personally. And so we will think that this very um, so-called rebuke of Christ seems rather harsh for this man himself. There might be a reason for treating this man with such severity. There might be reasons why Jesus made such a harsh statement towards him. The first thing that we note is that you here is actually a plural. If you guys can see on the bottom left of my screen, um, there's a whole chunk of words there. You'll see that it's actually a plural form. It refers to not just you as in this man, but it refers to a whole group of people, a whole array of people. So what might this whole array of people be referring to? There are a few interpretations of this. Um, first of all, it might be referring to Galileans or Gentiles. Another way of uh, looking at it is that it was referring to Jewish people, the Jews themselves. As mentioned before, if we were to look at this verse in contrast 
with First Corinthians chapter one, we might assume that this man was a Jew, was a Jew himself. But it might also be referring to men generally speaking, to every one of us, every single person living on this earth, that we seek signs and wonders before we will believe. If not, we won't believe. Um, the idea itself can be can will be explored on a bit later on, but just keep that in mind. This is true even at that point of time. Even the great King Herod himself, when we look at Luke 23 verse 8, he seeks for the signs and wonders. In Luke chapter 3, 23 verse 8, he uh, says here, When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. The Herod himself wanted to see this magic show, to be entertained, to be amused by what Jesus is able to do. I think very much so today, all of us are similar in that manner. So why did Jesus rebuke him as such? Well, first of all, the issue of believing. The Galileans, as established before, they have heard countless of sources of what Jesus had done. They had credible and incontestable sources. That, that means sources that are genuine, that are true, that no one so-called contests against. These wonders that Jesus had done, be it in Jerusalem and even in Cana or in Galilee itself, people can testify for what Jesus had done. But they are unconvinced. They are unwilling to believe. You know, unless they are seen by their own eyes. This is man's desires at its finest. We demand these things to be done. We demand and we want to see for ourselves that these things are true. If you see here that Jesus uh, charges people in a very similar manner, uh, in Luke chapter 4, verse 23, and he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal me. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. There's a demand of Jesus' signs and miracles being done to the people around us here. Even today, you know, man wishes, first of all, to be honored. We recognize that seeing these signs and wonders being done is an honoring act is something that honors men. It's a way that Christ honors men by showing himself to us, by showing his deeds and his works to us. But what is evil here is that man demands to be honored. The man demands to be humored. He demands to be entertained before the man is able to come to Christ, before they are convinced of what Christ says himself to be. We do not listen to the testimony of other people. We, we want to see it for ourselves. We demand it to see it for ourselves. This is deeply rooted even in today's culture. We talk about seeing is believing. We talk about seeing is believing. Even uh, as we so-called progress, we feel 
as modern day people, we are enlightened with all our science and uh, science as in a subject science, you know, our biology, our physics, our chemistry. And the empirical data always tells us, uh, the empirical theory always tells us that we need to see it for ourselves. We need to experiment. We need to so-called do, do things before we can trust that it is true. And this is why in our education system, in schools, we learn this. We learn to do experiment. We learn to examine the experiment. And from the experiment itself, we draw a conclusion. We have to see. It. But then again, this is very contradictory to a lot of things that us as people in the modern age. It contradicts a lot of things that we believe as people of this modern age. Many people say that seeing is believing, and yet the same people say that they believe in the Big Bang, also in evolution theory. Ultimately, they do not recognize that these two proposals are theories. They see they believe in it, but they themselves do not see it. No one was there when the so-called Big Bang happened, if it happened. No one has ever seen speciation, where one species turned into another, in that sense, a fish turning into a land mammal. No one has ever seen that. But yet people assume that it is the case and assert that it is true. And when it comes to Christian faith, when we say certain things, when we make certain assumptions, when we make certain claims, it's not true, it's no longer true. Because man seeks to prove it by seeing it by themselves. This is very much contra contradictory to the world. Many people say that Christians' faith is weak because we cannot prove it by modern day science. We cannot prove it by modern day evaluations. And so this is something that we ought to think a bit more about. How this whole understanding uh, contradicts each other. Men also ask for miracles to be done before they believe. So we talk about the social as uh, we talk about a general aspect of it. Now we will deep go into deeper look at people who have not yet believed in the gospel, who are on the border of believing, but they choose not to believe. I believe some of you have heard this statement: "If there is a God, do this and do that." On men's and we demand God to show himself to us. We demand God to do certain signs and wonders before we do what to believe. If you guys have any friends, if they have a dying wish, if they, if they have a family member who is on the bed, if there is a God, heal my parents. If there is a God, grant me this wish. This is ingrained in the society today where man demands things from God. It's no longer us seeking for the will of God, but it is us seeking our will, own will from God. They want their curiosity to be gratified with these things, with these signs and wonders, with these miracles that are done. And often of times, it ends up in two directions. One is that they will never come to faith. They will never come to believe in God because ultimately there is no standard of faith. There is nothing for them to seek out from God because miracles 
are done so much so. Even the magicians in Exodus are able to do great miracles, great magic. Even a magician today is able to poke our curiosity. They will never come to faith. The second, <clears throat> the second issue that, uh, the second way that they may go is the way of a weak foundation built upon miracles. This whole idea I will explore a bit more uh, now. <clears throat> First of all, evidence of miracles should sufficiently prove that Christ is the teacher of God. And because of this, they should apply themselves to the instruction of Christ. As, in, as much as miracle goes, miracles itself does not give us the foundation of our faith. Miracles itself should only be a way to show us who Christ is. And I think more than sufficiently that after seeing who Christ is, a teacher of God, a prophet of God who speaks on behalf of God, man should apply themselves to the instruction of Christ. But going back to the issue previously as mentioned about people holding on so firmly to miracles, they do not follow the instruction of Christ anymore. They just go on to dwell in miracles and signs and wonders, which itself was designed for the purpose of leaving, leading them on, leading people on to believing, to bring them to perfection of their spirit. Instead, they are driven to dwell more deeply into the signs and to the wonders. This is a great danger that many new believers face that they are so ingrained with this idea that signs and wonders are of utmost importance that they no longer think about the word. The word itself does not affect them because it did not attract them in the first place, but only the sensible power of the miracles. The signs are ultimately meant for non-believers, but believers ought to devote themselves to prophecy, to the word God. This is very much seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. Past tongues are signed not for believers, <clears throat> sorry, but for unbelievers. For prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Prophecy in the sense of the word of God, in the sense of speaking on behalf of God. Oh. <clears throat> Why is this so important for us today that I wish to dwell, uh, I wish to devote one whole morning session on this idea, on this thought? I think very much so as young people growing up in this church. Eventually we will have the we will have opportunities to serve in church, be it for outreach or be it for other events. How are we going to run such events here? Are we going to attract people with signs and miracles and wonders? Are we going to do a magic show in church to attract people? Even more so, are we going to do entertainment for the people? In this case, we say that men are entertained by signs and wonders. But men can be entertained by many all sorts of things. By a performance, by a, dan by a dance, by, by some... By singers, you know, I believe that K-pop is so popular that 
it, not just K-pop, but any great singer will be willing to pay a fortune to go and visit. Are we using such things to attract people to church? Are we using, are we going with a mentality that we need to attract people to church first before we tell them about the gospel? You see, the foundational of that attraction is already wrong. What Christians will mostly suggest is that they should not be attracted by the world, the world's ways of attracting. But we should attract people with the word itself, with the word of God itself. Because if they're not attracted by the word of God, they will not be affected by the word of God. And if they are not affected by the word of God, they will not stay for the word of God. Science and miracles can only go so far. Entertainment can only go so far. If they are attracted by it, they will be affected by it. But the fact is that they can't be affected by it because there is nothing to affect them by. They will stay only as far as they are able to see signs and wonders. They are able to see such entertainments to be humored by it only for the short period of time. Eventually dying out for they have seen enough and there is nothing more to stay on for. I have heard I think about one story of a person leaving the church simply because he has was unable to see miracles done by God anymore. He came to church first of all in the first place because he has saw certain miracles happen on stage. Uh, whether it is true or not, that's another issue altogether. But he himself believed that the miracles done on stage was genuine, it was truthful. He came to faith because of it. But after a while, when he himself was unable to experience such signs and wonders, he did not believe. He did not believe anymore because his very foundation was wrong. So, <clears throat> In effect, we should think for ourselves then. We weigh the miracles as heavily as we should. Does our friends around us weigh these miracles as much as they should? Is there a right understanding and the usefulness of miracles? How much do we rely on it? Miracles have its place. Miracles have its purpose. We do not believe that miracles continues on today. Because the very purpose of the miracle was to pave the way for us Christians. As mentioned before, people have testified for these miracles. So do we believe that, tes uh, that testimony of the miracles itself? The scripture, all the authors of scriptures are a testimony of the miracles that are done by Christ. So if you do not believe their testimony, can we believe the miracles that happen even if it happens in our own lives? So that is the aspect that we have for men in general. The next aspect that we ought to zoom in are on the Jews. The Jews only admire the, the miracles. They admire miracles. The Jewish people admire miracles. They rush to miracles. The Jewish themselves depended so much on miracles that they have neglected the word. The Jewish people have no reverence for the doctrine of God. And Calvin, 
uh, I think it's a great humor that he calls this group of people, these Jews that depend so much on miracles as stupid and carnal. This is very much true. As we look into the book of Exodus, as, in fact, as we look through the whole Old Testament, we see that the Jewish people always seek for signs and wonders to be done in their life. Moses brought the word of God to them. Moses speak on behalf of God to the Jew, uh, to the uh, to the to the people when they came out of Egypt. Moses spoke to them, but they were unwilling to believe. The only time that they believed was when they see miracle happens by God, be it manna falling from the sky, be it water coming from the rock, all these wonders that Moses had done. That's when they believe. But yet, they are so reliant on it, they only believe for a short while and after that, they lose their faith. They turn away from God, they build their own statue, they build their own idols, and they go away. They neglect the word. They have no reverence for the word of God. They have no reverence for the doctrine of God. And the Jewish people themselves should be the most well-acquainted people with the word. But since they were taught by the word since infancy, since they were a child, they should live in the word and they should know the word. Yet, even when miracles are shown to them, they remain in the state of stupidity and amazement. Calvin charged them with the fact that they have no religion, no knowledge of God, no practice of godliness. And I think this is very much true. Once again, go back to a verse found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, as mentioned previously. For Jews demand a sign, demand signs, and Greeks seek for wisdom. And this is very much so even up to today. No matter how much miracles we are capable of doing, which I do not believe to be any, but even though, even so, no matter how much miracles we are capable of doing, that we are, we are able to do, if we are not grounded in the word, we are stupid and cuddle in that sense. We do not have reverence for the understanding of the word. We have no foundation for our faith. We are like the Jews who have no religion, no knowledge of God, and no practice of godliness. So, and so because of that, we forget the grace of God. We forget eternal life. We, res we resent the secret power of the Holy Spirit so that we can dwell on miracles. Is that worth giving up on? Is that worth our time to think more about this? Uh, to, sorry, to waste our time away dwelling on the miracles that are done. So I'll end us off here today. Um, I think uh, what I really want us to do today as we continue on our day is to really think through about miracles itself. What was the purpose of it? Is there still a need for it today as Christians living in the post-Canaan uh, Can Can period? Right. The whole Bible has been established already. Is there still a need for miracles to testify? 
um, the scriptures. What about miracles that Christians today have claimed to be able to do? What are our thoughts on it? And I think even an encouragement for all of us is to interact with our friends, with our friends who are Christians, who are not Christians. Do they believe in miracles? How much emphasis do they place upon <clears throat> miracles in their life? Do they require a miracle before they believe? Or do they, are they able to believe simply by the word of God? So I think it's a good time for us to think through about this, interact with our friends and interact with Christians, I think most importantly of all. Speak to them about this and see how do they react to this. Okay, so I'll end us off here. Uh, can I have Shubo, can you close us in prayer? Okay. <clears throat> Father Christ, Lord, thank you for giving us this time that we'll be able to then we'll be able to pay attention to your word, Lord, then we'll be able to uh, then we'll be able to find out that these miracles that you have shown us not for is not a sign for for believers but for non-believers, Lord, that they may be able to see and may be able to believe, Lord, and that we should not have all our faith dependent on these things that we can only see, Lord, but we should but we should have our faith in you, Lord. Though we cannot see you, we must have faith in you. May you continue to watch over us as you continue on this day, Lord, and that uh, may you allow allow these things. May you allow us to perform these things in our lives. Jesus, especially, we pray. Amen.